Hey, and as we start, will you guys, uh, will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this idea of adoption that we get to look at this morning. Uh, would you now be with us? Um, man, for anyone who is, um, has a sleepy heart or an apathetic heart or a hard heart guy, we come here this morning, uh, we want to hear your word. And so would you break through? Would your spirit move this morning? Would you help us to see this um, as uh, what it is, God, that you have saved us and redeemed us? God, would you give us sharp minds and soft hearts as we come to your word, that this would not just be knowledge uh, to know, information to know, but God, that we would uh, truly believe um, in these things and this would lead us to worship of you. God, help us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Providence, if... uh, if money was not an issue for you, so, you had, so if, if there was no need to make more money, and you could do anything you wanted to do in the world, what would you do? You ever been asked a question like this? Like, okay, so just imagine you got like a billion dollars, okay, so all your basic needs are met. So you don't need to worry about all the essentials, food, shelter, water, the Costco membership, like the 60-inch screen, you got your Netflix password from your parents, all right, so you got everything covered, all your essentials are covered, you got a billion dollars, it's all covered, what would you do? What kind of work would you do? What what do you think would change about your life in that moment? So I want you to, to think, like just think about, man, if I didn't have to just labor for 40 hours a week at this job just to pay my bills, if I could do anything I wanted, what would change? Yeah, you know, it's kind of a silly question, but I kind of like asking things like this to people because you kind of figure out, okay, man, what do I love? What do I value? What are the things that, man, if I could do anything, I would run after this. You know, I think for most of us, it's probably a little far-fetched, right? Like most of us, we have bills and we're not insanely rich. And so we have to pay those bills and we have to keep making money. And so it seems a little bit out there, a little bit silly, a little bit far-fetched. Um, but this morning... I think in some sense, uh, for anyone who is living a life with God, I think that that question's a little bit less far-fetched than we think. If you're living a life with God, as we're talking about in this series, I think the Bible says that when that happens, you've been adopted into the family of God, which means that if you're a child of God, he says all of your needs are met. Think about it. He, he says that I will provide and I will care for my children so that all their basic needs will be met. Now, uh, I know that sometimes we, you know, when we preach and preachers like to give this kind of like big punch at the end, we kind of hit you with the gospel at the end. But this morning, I'm not doing that. I'm giving you all my cards up front. I want to be very honest with what I think, um, or how I think uh, adoption should change us. And so for us this morning, If you are adopted into the family of God, if you believe in Jesus, all of your needs are met in him. All of your needs are met. You have a father who promises to provide for everything that you need. You can consider yourself the kid of a rich dad who loves to give his kids good gifts. That's what it's like to be in the family of God. Now, I think for us... We often struggle with this idea. We even struggle with Christianity as a whole because we don't often think about ourselves in this way. 
You know, when we think about Christianity, we sometimes think about um, having to obey certain things or do certain things, and, and less often do we sit and do we think about how we are a child of God. I mean, just imagine. Imagine a life where all of the, uh, the validation and the approval and the love that you long for, imagine a life where you, you feel that always, like that deep longing in your soul is just satisfied. Imagine where you're not striving for more money or more likes or more security or more comfort, where all those things that just kind of drive us day in and day out. Imagine if you felt like those were met in your soul, like you had those. Think about the weight that we carry around with us day after day that could just be lifted if we believed that as a child of God, all of those things are met in our soul and therefore we're freed from that. I think truly living a life with God as an adopted child provides just that. It shows us that the basic soul level needs that we have are all met and therefore it frees us. Uh, I want to show you a quote. There's a guy, a pastor and theologian, J.I. Packer, uh, who is talking about adoption uh, in his book, Knowing God. And he says this. He says, what is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. He makes this kind of big claim, but I think it's probably fairly true. He's saying, look, if, if you want to understand God and you want to grow and you want to understand Christianity, he said, what you need to focus on is that this idea of God being your father, you being God's child. He said, you can't grasp Christianity more than you understand it in family language. And so this morning, what I want to do is, uh, I don't think I'm overstating this, although it may sound big and grand, but I think honestly, from the text that we just read, from this idea of adoption, I think God wants to change your life this morning. And I don't say that flippantly, and I don't, I don't say that easily, but I think honestly, if we believed at, at the depths of our soul that we're a child of God, I think that should change Everything, more than if tomorrow you got a billion dollars and you didn't have to work anymore for that. I think that this should actually change us more. And so that's what we're going to see from Galatians 4. So if you've got a Bible, go Galatians 4, towards the back of the New Testament. Otherwise, the verses are going to be on the screen. But as we get into Galatians 4, uh, I think we're going to see three things in regards to adoption. All right, so first, as we get into it, we're going to see the need of adoption. We're going to see why we need this thing called adoption. Secondly, we're going to look at the process of adoption. So we'll see Paul, the author, kind of show us how adoption works. And then third, uh, we're going to see the life of adoption. So in line with our series, Life with God, we want to look at, if you believe you're an adopted child of God, how does that change your life? What does that mean for you? So we'll see the need of adoption, the process of adoption and the life of adoption. So if you got your Bible, go Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to start right away in verse 1. And we're going to see the, the need, what necessitates this idea of adoption. So Galatians 4, starting in verse 1. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. 
though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Uh, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever walked into a conversation uh, that was kind of like halfway through? Uh, you kind of walk up, there's a few people talking, and, and you kind of got two options at that point. So you walk up, they're in the middle of a conversation, and you can either do two things. You can just kind of announce your presence and put a halt to the conversation, and you just kind of either start it over or you kind of engage, or maybe you're a little bit more subtle. And so what you do is you kind of play detective in your mind for a minute, and you try to think, through, okay, they mentioned this person, and they have this tone, and they're talking to this person, so I think maybe they're talking something like that. You ever feel that or experience that? Well, maybe in that moment, if you have a, a loving friend, someone will lean over to you and be like, hey, just so you know, we're talking about this person and, and this event that happened. You think, okay, great. So now you know, and now you can kind of carry on the conversation. You get what's going on. Well, I think in Galatians 4, where we just jumped into is kind of like jumping into the middle of a conversation between Paul and these Christians in Galatia. You see, we jumped in into the middle of an argument that the author, Paul, is trying to make here to the Galatians. So, because I love you guys, let me be that friend who just tells you quickly, here's kind of what they're talking about so that we can move on, all right? So, uh, in Galatians chapter 3, so right before this, Paul starts this argument about the law of God. So he's talking to these Christians because what happened is these Christians began to start to think um, that they were accepted and approved of by God only if they followed these certain laws. And so there was this mindset going around that if I'm going to be a Christian, I need to believe in Jesus, but I also need to believe in certain things to do. I need rules and laws, and, and, and if I do that, then God will approve of me. Then I'll be made right with God. And Paul's coming in and saying, that's not how it works. You hear this language of a guardian or manager. He says, the law was meant to be a guardian, but it was only supposed to point you to Jesus. He said, the, the purpose of the law was not to save you. It was to point you to this man, Jesus Christ. So that's kind of what Paul is saying. And then we get to Galatians 4. Now in our text, if you notice, he uses kind of some family language in there. He's talking about being an heir of someone or being a child and being a slave. And so uh, if we zoom out just a little bit, I think that he's, he's talking about a family. But what he's doing is he's saying, look, Christian, before you were a child of God, before you actually believed in Jesus and you were a part of the family of God, he's going to talk about us like we're orphans. Okay, so he talks about if you're not a child of God, if you're not a part of the family of God, he's saying spiritually, it's as if you have no parents. It's as if you have no spiritual father. And in that, look at verse 3 for a second. I think we'll throw it up. He says in verse 3, he says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So what's interesting is that Paul says, Without a spiritual father, without being a part of the family of God, because of our sin, like we've talked about the last few weeks, he says we're, we're like these orphans without a parent. And because every child needs certain things from their parent, that they need love and they need provision and they need security and they need comfort, they need that from their parent. If you don't have that, he says you become enslaved to finding that somewhere in the world. So for the Jewish people that he's writing to primarily, they were trying to find it in the law. 
They said, okay, well, I will try to then match myself to the, the letter of the law. And so everything the law says, I will try to do. And that way, I'll find this approval and validation. For non-Jewish people, like most of us, I assume, um, he says that we were enslaved to these principles of the world, which is kind of a fancy phrase, but I think essentially he's saying you're, you're just enslaved to the ways of the world. The way that the world goes, you want to find love and approval and satisfaction in all the ways that the world tells us. You ever, you ever feel that? You just feel kind of enslaved to the things of the world? You ever feel like at your job, it's just like, man, if I'm going to get the promotion or I'm going to get my boss's attention, you just kind of have to cut some corners. Like you have to kind of go behind people's back. You just have to do some of these things because that's just the way this company works, right? Maybe you don't like it, but you kind of feel enslaved by it. Maybe you feel like, man, if I'm going to be a successful American, I have to get a spouse and I have to have some kids and I have to buy a house and I got to do all these things. And even though I don't know if I want that, it just seems like that's just the way our culture says you mature and progress. And so you feel enslaved to these things. I think that's what Paul's talking about is just to find this validation and approval and all these things that we should get from a spiritual father we long for now in things of the world. So I think Paul's argument here is that being a slave to the laws or the things of the world is just what it means to be this spiritual orphan without God satisfying the things in our soul. So that's, the, that's kind of the theory, right? That's the idea that, that, that's kind of what Paul's saying. But now what I want to do is I want to kind of press that in a little bit. So what does that actually look like for us? How do we actually operate as, as orphans, as this kind of orphan mentality? What does that look like? As I thought about it this week, um, I think there's three things that I would bet that most of us struggle with at some point. I think there's three signs of living as like a spiritual orphan, about not having God uh, as our father. So there's three things. The first one, the first one I want to talk about is validation. So think about validation. So imagine with me for a second. Um, imagine if a child grows up with uh, a home where the parents are there. They've got their whole family. It's a loving home. The parents are great. I mean, just the epitome of just great parents. They, do, they, they care for their kid. They love him. They tell him all the time, like, you're great. You're doing great things. Hey, we approve of you. We love you. We're here for you. All that kind of stuff that child will then grow up to probably be less likely to seek out this validation because they felt that at a young age from a parental figure, right? So we get this sense for if you feel that at a young age, you often won't experience this like drought of that as much. But now imagine, or maybe this is even your story, maybe you grew up in a home where you didn't have that, where your parents weren't always there where they didn't tell you that they approved of you. They didn't tell you that they loved you. And you felt this gap inside where your soul was longing for a parental figure to just say, hey, I approve of what you're doing. I love you. You're doing a great job. That approval and validation that every kid longs for. If you don't feel that, you will most likely grow up then just seeking to fill that void anywhere. Now, in a spiritual sense, If we do not have, if we're not connected with God, if we don't feel that validation from God, 
we are probably enslaved to finding validation from either our jobs or people or spouses or social media. And we're enslaved to trying to get that approval because our souls need it and we haven't felt it from God. I think this is one of the consequences. If we live as an orphan, it's seeking out validation from anyone and everyone. The second one, the second thing I think we long for is this idea of assurance. Assurance or, or security. Again, think back. If you were uh, in a child in a home with parents that, that loved you and you knew they were faithful to you and they, they were always going to be there, you probably never wondered one night if your dad was working late if he's going to come home. Well, you probably knew maybe he's late, but I know he's coming home. You probably never wondered when your parents sent you to a friend's house if they were going to say, hey, why don't you just stay? Or you never probably wondered if your parents didn't want you around or were going to bolt the next day. You probably just knew this assurance and this security that when I wake up in the morning, my parents are going to be there. When I go down at night, my parents are going to be there. But again, imagine if, or maybe this is your story, that wasn't true. And you grew up and your parents weren't there. Or your dad did bolt. Or, or you were struggling to feel this assurance and security from a parental figure, I would guess there's probably something in your soul that's longing to know that there's a relationship there that will last. I, I would guess, you've probably ran through your mind, I wonder if this person's going to stay. I wonder if they're going to actually be faithful to me for the long haul. I wonder if they're just going to get over me and not want me to be around. I think as a spiritual orphan, what this looks like is when you are separated from God, we have this longing and this desire for people. We're enslaved to the fear of people being faithful to us. Uh, lastly, the third orphan mentality I think we have is uh, one of inheritance. Now, that might sound a little bit funny or a little bit odd, because when we think inheritance, I'm assuming what you probably initially thought of was when you pass, then your kids get all of your stuff, right? That's kind of how we think through inheritance, is that all the stuff that's the parents will eventually go to the kids. And while that's true, I want to kind of broaden that out a little bit. I want you just to think about for a moment, think about all the things that you inherit from your parents, so for me, I grew up in a, in a house where I did have both of my parents around, and, uh, and I inherited many, many things from my family. I mean, starting when I was born, I inherited their DNA, right? So I looked like my parents. As I grew up, I started to have speech patterns that were like my parents. I had some mannerisms, and the way I smiled or laughed, they were similar to my parents. There were things that I liked, and there were things that I didn't like because of my parents. And even more than that, the, the house that they owned... Uh, was really my house. Like they considered that mine, I considered it mine, even though I didn't spend a dime on it, that was my house. The groceries that they bought, that, that was my food. That's what I ate. I inherited all these things. And you know, now that, that I have a, a son, now he's inheriting things from me. You know, there's even certain things now that uh, he has of mine that other people don't. Things like my house and our food and all that stuff. But he also has my heart, Right? Like he's got my mind and my attention. When he cries, I focus on that. Like because he's my child, now I am focused and he has my attention. If one of your kids cries, that's bad, but I, I mean, I'm, he doesn't have all my attention because he ain't my kid, right? Like that's on you because you're his 
parent. But for me, when he cries or when he yells out, Dad, I go because he has that part of me. And I think as, as we live as spiritual orphans, if we are not connected to God as our Father, we will live in such a way where we treat this world as where we have to provide for everything, uh, earn everything, make everything, and hoard everything we can because we don't trust that somebody else is going to provide for us. Whether that's materially or spiritually, we think, man, I have to do it on my own. I have to get these things by myself. I have to provide for myself because we don't trust that God will provide. So I think the Bible, as it talks about uh, before we enter life with God, it speaks of us as if we're spiritual orphans, longing for the things that a father should have given us that in our sin, when we're separated from God, we did not have. And this, I think, is the need of adoption. This is why we need someone. We need a father figure to love us and to satisfy the deep longings in our soul. And so that gets us to this next section. As Paul says, hey, this is why we need adoption. Then he transitions in verse 4 to show us how God does it. This is the process of adoption. Look at verse 4. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I love this passage because he says, when you were enslaved to the things of the world, when you were an orphan without a spiritual father, when you had no hope, God intervened. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, who's an old British preacher, uh, said that the beauty of adoption is not in how we move towards God. He says, God adopting children means that it is he alone who moves towards us. Right? Like there's no orphan that just cleans themselves up and makes themselves good enough that they deserve that couple to adopt them. It is solely by the love and grace of, of a parent or a couple to adopt a child. It's not because they've done something. It's simply because the parents have moved towards them. And similarly, this passage shows that it wasn't you cleaning yourself up to get to God. It was simply God who moved towards us. Look at verse 4. It says, God sent forth his son. God initiates. God made a way. So I think we need, to, we need to know, we've said this over and over again in this series, the way to become a child of God is not by anything that you do. It's not by working your way to him. It's not by being good enough. It is simply about God initiating towards you. And I love that this passage says God didn't, he didn't send more laws to you. He didn't send you a seven-step uh, book that's going to help you get to him. It says God sent his son who was born like any other man was born. He was born under the law like every other person. And I love it says, why did he come? To redeem those who were enslaved so that we might become sons. And I want us to catch, catch the irony of this passage. He's talking here about orphans, right? He's saying, in a world of spiritual orphans who are disconnected from their father, 
God said, the way that I'm going to make all these orphans my son is by giving of my one true son. And you see that that when Jesus came and when Jesus hung on the cross, even though he was the beloved son of God, he was like an orphan on the cross. You know, when he hung on the cross, he had no father come to his defense. Like when he hung on the cross, he had no father to protect him from evil. He had no father to draw near to him and comfort him. He had no family to be with him. When Jesus was on a cross, he was treated like an orphan. He was treated like a slave, not to his own sin, but to our sins. And when Jesus died on that cross, he died as an orphan, one separated from his father, one under the weight of sin. But Jesus became an orphan, so you and I could become sons of God. It says that he gave up all of his privileges, all of his rights, and hung on a cross so that everyone who didn't deserve to be in the family of God could enter into the family of God. And so I think for some of us, I I don't know how you view your relationship with God, but, but you need to hear me. If you trust in Jesus, the way that God the Father loves Jesus is the way that he loves you. Like the, like the honor and the affection that the Father gives to Jesus is the same now to you. The status that God is giving Jesus as his son, he now gives to you. That's your identity. If you've trusted in Jesus, your identity is wrapped up in Jesus. It changes everything. We're no longer orphans longing for these things. We're no longer slaves trying to follow certain rules. We're sons. We're in the family of God. Now, I do want to mention quickly, as maybe a quick aside, I don't know if many of you caught this, but as you read through this, it's interesting that he says you were adopted as sons, right? Now, I know that a lot of people kind of wrestle with this, and, and even maybe some of your translations have changed it to say sons and daughters, right? And we try to make this feel like, okay, everyone's included. But I want to show you why it's actually very important that he says sons, so, so think about this. In this Roman world, uh, it's a very like patriarchal society. And so what happens is everything that is the families is really comes through the father. And he then would give that as an inheritance to his son. And usually, almost always, it's the firstborn son. So when God, if, 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 or when uh, a father, if he had a bunch of sons and you were like the 10th one or you were one of the daughters... Uh, you probably wouldn't get much, if anything, of the inheritance because it all went through a son. Now, if this father, maybe he had a son or maybe he didn't have a son and he wanted to give his inheritance away, the Roman view of adoption is a little bit less like our view and it's more in terms of inheritance. So what they would do is they would usually adopt not children, they would actually adopt adult sons And they then would be in line to receive an inheritance. So if a father wanted to give his inheritance away, but he didn't have someone to give it to, or he wanted to split it, he could adopt a son as his own, and then he would give everything to that son. So when Paul says, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your gender, it doesn't matter any of these things, if you believe in Jesus, you are that son. You're the firstborn. Everything that he would give to Jesus, he now will give to you. You're adopted, not just a part of the family. You're like the treasured one that God will give everything to. And this is all not because you were the best of 
them, but simply because you're in Jesus. This is what God does in adoption. Now, I told you at the very beginning, I think if we see that, if we see ourselves as the treasured son of God that he's going to give everything to, uh, that that should change everything. And I believe that. If you, if tomorrow you had a billion dollars and all your needs were met, and that would change your life more than you understanding that you're a child of God, I think there's an issue. Because if you're a child of God, you have all that's God's, which is, namely, everything. Right? Like everything is God's. And he says, if you're my son, then I'm going to give everything to you. And so here's what I want to do to end. I want to read the next couple verses. And I want us just to, by way of application, think through what would it look like for us to live a life as an adopted son of God. So look at these verses, because Paul's going to go on a little bit further. Starting in verse 8, he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, or in other words, like we're talking about today, being him as your father and being a part of the family, says, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid that I have labored over you in vain. So Paul's wrapping up this argument. He says, look, If you've trusted in Jesus and you've moved from being an orphan and a slave and you're now a child of God, he says, why in the world would you turn back and say, I still want to live in some of these old ways? If you were a slave and now you're free, why go back to slavery? If you were longing for these things at a soul level and you've now experienced them in God, why go back to trying to find them? I love that Paul pulls no punches as he says these things. They're weak and worthless, right? Which if you've been pursuing these things, you've probably experienced. They're weak and they're worthless. They're not soul satisfying. And so here's what I want to do to end. I want to look back at these three ideas that I talked about. Validation, assurance, and inheritance. And I just want us to think through what would it look like if we believed we were children of God, what would it look like in our life to have those three things met and satisfied in God? So go back to validation. Think about this with me. If you trust in Jesus, he says that you are fully validated and approved of by God. He is your father and he cares for you and he approves of you. So, Paul's saying, why go back to trying to find approval and validation from people here or from your jobs or from how big your house is or how big your car is? Why go back to those things when you have the approval and validation of God. So think about this. I mean, honestly, I know that we kind of make fun of this stuff a little bit, and we maybe treat it lightly, um, but just think about, honestly, what the, um, what the social media craze has done. I mean, think about how, if your soul, if you're on social media and you're just trying to accumulate followers and likes, and you can sense in your soul that you're doing that because you just need people to know whatever about you, or that, or that you can feel validated, I want you to hear that you're forfeiting your status as a child and you're living like an orphan. You've you've re-enslaved yourself to people's approval instead of being free because God approves of you. And it's a weight that you just cannot carry. 
You don't need people's approval. You don't need your boss's approval. You don't need the person sitting next to you. You don't need their approval or your neighbors. We don't have to fight this and play this game that are just the ways of the world because we can say, God approves of me. He validates me. I'm his child and he loves me and therefore I'm free. We can be completely free. And so, I I mean, what if we live that way? Like, honestly, think about what your life would look like if you didn't ever have to compare yourself, compete with people, or stack yourself up to try and gain people's approval or validation. Can you imagine the weight that would be off our shoulders? That's what it means to be a child of God. Second, I want us to know this morning that if you're in Christ, your relationship with God is fully secure And you can have assurance that as much as he saved you, he will bring you to the end. And so I do want to say, if you're in the room this morning, and you did have maybe a dad who took off. Or maybe you did have a spouse who was unfaithful. Or maybe you did have kids that have run away. Or friends that have just left you. I need you to hear from this passage that God will not do that. God is with you. God is for you. You never have to wonder if God's going to be there at the end of the day. Just imagine what life would be like with God if we never had to wonder, man, is God near to me? Have I blown it this time with God? Has he finally realized who I am and has sent me off? Just think about the security and the comfort you would have to know that if you're in Christ, God's never leaving. He's always with you because he will not leave his son. And if you believe in his son, he will never leave you. I love in verse 6, it says, You have the spirit inside of you that gets to cry out, Abba, Father. Like I said, when my son cries out, I go to him. This says, when you cry out, God hears you. If you are in him, you have his attention and his heart and the relationship forever. Uh, Lastly, Let's think about inheritance. I think this is actually one of the most crazy or biggest benefits of adoption. But I want you to think through. All that is God's is now yours. Now, I think we usually think about it the opposite, right? We usually think, man, what is mine is God's. And that's very, very true. But God is saying, hey, I'm creating a whole new heaven and earth. I'm creating a place where there's going to be no pain, no destruction, no hurt. And I'm creating that. For you. Like, I'm giving this to you. That's your future. If you're in Christ, you have this new heaven and new earth that's awaiting you. All that is God is yours. And to be a child is to trust that He will always then provide for you. You know, I read an article this week about a guy who uh, he adopted two boys from Russia. And he said, You know, you know the time that I knew they trusted me to provide for them? Or the time that I knew they trusted me as their father? was the moment that I saw them stop, when I would feed them, they stopped hiding food. So he said essentially what would happen is when you were an orphan and you somehow got some food, you would probably eat a little bit of it, but then you would also like hide some of it. Because it was, you didn't know if you were going to be provided for later. When you got hungry 10 hours from now, you didn't know if you'd have food, so you had to provide for yourself. And so he said when they adopted them, these two boys, he would give them some food and they would eat a little bit and then they would like store the rest of it. And he said that happened for a couple months until he said he started to notice when he gave them a plate of food, they would just eat it. And he said, in that moment, I knew that they trusted that in 10 hours when they're hungry again, I'm going to provide them with more food. 
that their needs would be met because I'm a good, loving father. What would it be like if we legitimately lived our lives with such open hands to everything to say, God, I trust that what you give me now is for now, and I trust that you will provide for me later. That I don't have to hoard things or keep things or, or store up all these things because I trust that as much as I need things now and I need them later, you're going to provide for me then also. I had a friend who was um, incredibly annoying because he lived uh, and he didn't have a job for a while and he felt like all, it was just all this crazy stuff and he basically just lived by faith and he said, look, I trust that God is telling me to do these certain things and that he's going to provide for me when I have needs. And it was so frustrating because I was like, but your bank account's at zero. Like, how are you doing this? And he looked at me once and he said, you know what, Andrew? He said, I have a joint bank account with my father. He said, he has plenty of money and he knows when I need it. And he just lives his life by faith, just basically saying, when I need something, I trust God will provide. You know what? I've never seen him not be provided for. He just lives in this complete radical faith because he trusts God as a good father. What would it look like if we moved towards that? I know most of us aren't going to start doing that, but what if we took steps towards that? What if we didn't feel like, man, if God's giving me a, a salary or he's giving me a certain talent or he's giving me this amount of time, what if we didn't feel like we had to hoard all that What if we said, man, I can be as generous as I can because if I need something later, I know my God will provide. What if we trusted our Father that way? I think that's what it means to live as a child of God. So here's what I want to do. Uh, We're going to take communion. uh, And I invite the band up. um, And maybe of those three, or if there's something else that God's been kind of stirring, I would love to invite you, before you come to communion, to just take a moment uh, and just dwell on I mean, where do you see yourself living most like an orphan? That even maybe you've trusted in Jesus, but you just struggle to give certain things up or to trust him. And I would invite you if, you, if you're a believer in Jesus, that when you come forward to take communion, and you take the bread and you dip it in the juice, and, and you eat that, that, that is a symbolic act of you being unified with Jesus Christ. And would you trust that because you're unified with him, God will provide for you. A life with God is a life open because you're a child of God that he promises to provide for. And I hope that as you then experience that grace and that truth, that then this week, would we live that way? Would we walk in this obedience that whatever God calls me to do, I can do because he's always going to be there. He's always going to provide for me. And I can quit living for these things in the world because I have them in God. And I do want to say, if, if that's not you this morning, if you have yet to trust in Jesus, then I would invite you today, would you, would you place your faith in him? And he is a good father that wants to move you from being enslaved to the things of the world and to give you the riches of his grace. Would you trust that this morning? And I would say for you, as maybe a first act for you, would you come forward and take communion for the first time saying that I believe this. I believe that I'm in Jesus and that I have God as my Father. And I'd also invite you, Jared and I are going to be in the back. I'd invite you to come back and just tell us. Tell us what God's doing in your heart. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, and celebrate maybe that God is bringing you to life as his child. Uh, but if that's not you and you're not yet a believer in Jesus, I would invite you just to stay seated. Um, this is a, a meal for people that say all of my hope and faith is in Christ. And if that's not you, then this meal isn't yours. And so I invite you just to stay seated. We want you to be here and to hear the word and to sing with us and hang out with us. Um, but this meal is specified for people who would say, I trust in 
Jesus. And so I'd invite you just to stay seated or sing with us. Um, but if, if maybe today is the day that you want to accept Jesus, believe in him, I'd encourage you to come forward in a moment, take communion, and then uh, would you let us pray with you. So we have a gluten-free option in the back. Otherwise, it's up here. Communion servers, you can come forward. Let me pray uh, that this would be true of us. We would believe this, and then we'll take communion. Father, we are so grateful that we get to come to you and call you Father. That we are adopted children in your family. That we are inheritors. We, we are the heirs of all things because of you. That you have loved us. You've given grace to us. We have not worked our way towards you, but you have moved towards us. God, I pray that we would believe that this morning. I pray that you would wake our uh, hearts and our eyes and our ears to this truth and that we would live like this. Oh God, I pray right now for your spirit to press in where we often live like orphans. And would you help us see the freedom that we have in you? God, if we're enslaved to validation from others and approval of others, would you kill that in us? God, if we struggle with fear and we struggle with our relationship with you, God, would you give us confidence? And God, if we feel like we have to store things up and we have to, to make things on our own, would you just take that weight off of us? Would we trust that all that we have is yours and you will freely give to us whatever it is that we need? God, we trust in you. Would you help us believe this more and more and would we live in this way? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.